Yeah, where's it coming from? Let's find out. and welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me are... Kendra Maurer. And Morgana. And tonight, we welcome back the fourth member of our merry little band of weirdos, Christopher Diltz. How you doing, Chris? Well, thank you very much for having me today. Thank you for coming. And uh, can you give us an update on what you've been up to? Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, as I reported uh, during our session last uh, last time I, I was attending, I mentioned that I was in the process of developing a database architecture to house um, Al- Albert Rosales's uh, data uh, based on his humanoid encounters as he's collected for several years. And so the update I want to provide is that I have been able to take Albert Rosales's data and successfully parse it and then uh, convert it into uh, JSONs uh, files. And I, as of now, I now have a fully functional backend database that is that now contains uh, the bulk of Albert's um, humanoid encounter sightings. So this is a, a this is a very good achievement. So all of our data data now is, is stored in a non SQL database. And the next steps on what we want to do is we want to develop a user-friendly uh, front end uh, in the form of a graphical user interface that uh, other researchers can then log into and then query and uh, write specific queries to extract what elements of that data that they're actually interested in. So one good example I like to um, give is say uh, a particular researcher is interested in humanoid encounters that took place in the month of March. So they can put that information into this query and the database will then return all the humanoid encounters that took place within the month of March. And so they can design their own queries and and, and, uh, they can export the data in the form of either a Word document or a CSV file. So that's one of the features we wanna have uh, with this um, user-friendly front end is that they can query what information they want and then they'll be able to export it into a format that they can do their own research on. Uh, CSV and Excel files are probably the easiest kind. So the um, uh, export capabilities of these uh, user-friendly front end, that's what gonna, it's, it's going to entail, is that the researchers will be able to export it into a CSV or Excel file. Nice. That sounds that's- really excellent. That's big. It's so exciting. <laughs> Another thing we want to do is that we want to have some engines between the front end and the back end database uh, that would be able to do uh, customized uh, statistical analysis and data analytics. So not only will the person be able to export uh, the data that they want, but there will be uh, a, within the graphical user interface uh, graphs, charts that will be able to display summary statistics of the data that they're exporting uh, from the database. Also awesome. Excellent. That I think is, I, I'm and, and really excited about that. 
I like pictures. And, and the benefit here is, <laughs> and the benefit here is that as we acquire new data, these can represent um, also new databases that we have within our backend. So there can be databases for Albert Rosales' data, um, databases on UFO encounters, Bigfoot encounters, et cetera. And so the user can do customized analytics on these other databases and do this, it'll work the same way where they can export them and use it for their own individual research. And they can do compare and contrast between the databases. Like you can compile UFO reports and humanoid encounters for the month of, let's say, October of 1973. Mm -hmm. And so you could get some correlations or Bigfoot encounters of October 1973, United States. Precisely. So we'll, we'll be doing uh, the graphs will be tailored towards um, geospatial data. So we'll be able to look at this on a world map and then and also uh, on, a on a temporal level as well. And so we see like how these encounters uh, scale as a function of time. Are there any increases or are there any decreases? And the benefit here is that we, what ultimately we want to do is when we want to try to validate the, res the research done by past uh, UFO researchers and humanoid encounter researchers, and we want to try to develop some of our own findings that are more in league or um, might be a counterexample to what these researchers are coming forth. So one um, example, well, not so much an example, but a treasure trove of data that has fallen on my lab was provided to me um, by, uh, by you, Bard. And it consists of a book titled 60 Years of Neglected Evidence, Analysis of Global Humanoid Encounter Reports from 1946 to 2006. And it was authored by Ahmad Jamaluddin. And then um, he was able to uh, look over Albert Rosales' data from that, that time period, 1946 to 2006. And he was able to compose um, uh, treasure trove of uh, results based on his own analysis of the data. So the benefit here is that we can take our uh, our own analysis, our own research of Albert Rosales' data, and then try and see if we can verify uh, his uh, Jimmy Ahmed's findings from 1946 to 2006. Now the benefit is that we also have Albert's data from pre 1946 and then post 2006. So we're going to try and see if we can come up with um, uh, some more evidence and more results that support uh, like what was happening uh, pre-1946 or post-2006. So it's, it's really, really exciting. But first, aren't we going to um, test the same time period, well, analyze the same time period as the books analyzed and then compare findings? Yes. That is yes. correct. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, and I also want to thank Steve Ward for pointing that book out to me. Without mm -hmm. you, Steve, we would never have known that book existed. Um, and I also want to say thank you to Steve Coop because he told me about that book five days later. So thank you, Steves. Steves are helping. <laughs> we very much appreciate All the Steves. Input. All the Steves. Well, Steve Trevor, I'm not so happy about him right now, but whatever. Um <laughs> Kendra's going, Steve Trevor. I have chaos in the background. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Do, we have, so, do we have a naked eight-year-old again? Maybe. 
We might. <laughs> now she's covered in glitter because girls' night and glitter happens. So <laughs> if you're covered in glitter, you're not naked. Yep. This is it's very true. Very also, true. she would probably use that excuse exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. I, I know my niece. Mm-hmm. All right. So that is some very exciting news. And it's very exciting that we have a uh, book that has all of this analysis that we can compare and contrast our analyses with. Because one of the things I was concerned about is you wanted to compare and contrast other people's analysis. But if they haven't done it yet, then you have to wait for them to do it. And I'm not patient. So uh, we have a book. It's wonderful. And it's 800 pages, by the way, people. So it's, it's a series. Yay books! Yes, <laughs> yay books. All right. So so, so one, one additional thing I want to add to this is that to the listeners of this podcast, uh, this is going to be a, a database that other researchers are going to have access to. And this is unique because we want to give these researchers the ability to look at this treasure trove of data and then try and see if they can come up, do their own analysis, their own research, and try and see if they can validate the findings uh, that other researchers have been able to develop uh, based on uh, their own analysis. So this creates a community of UFO researchers, humanoid encounter researchers, and that builds a pool of knowledge that uh, you know that advances our understanding of these various phenomenon. Uh, if for example, the Wednesday phenomenon is true for humanoid encounters, or if uh, UFOs uh, work in a particular cycle. So as other researchers look over this data and do their own analysis, we can either confirm or refute uh, some of these uh, hypotheses uh, and uh, theories that have dominated the uh, UFO research community and the uh, paranormal research community as well. This is excellent. Um, yeah. And and can't we fine tune the algorithms and stuff as we go along if we need to, or will they fine tune? Yes. Itself? So ultimately, their machine learning doohickers. So so ulti- so ultimately, we'll be using both traditional and deep learning um, techniques, uh, especially in the areas of natural language processing. So as we acquire more data, we can do exactly that. We can refine the algorithms further and then test whether or not our original models uh, are still able to obtain the validation accuracy that they did on the first set of data sets that we trained them on. Okay. Are are we going to have somewhere online where we can um, sell the doohickers? I'm sorry. Doohickers. I was doing because so I think well the world needs to like I vaguely knew what I was talking about. No, I didn't vaguely know what I'm word. I just think it's awesome. <laughs> Do hicker. <laughs> but we are going to have a website it's, it's a, like, where the database yes. is available. Yeah. So that is yeah. correct. That is correct. Okay. Is that is that right now? I'm testing this as a application desktop on my um, on my own server. And eventually what we wanna do is we wanna migrate this into a web application. So certain individuals will have um, password credentials and a username, 
and then they can log in and then they can access the data and do their own analysis that way. Excellent. That's, that's, that's perfectly amazing. Okay. Uh, let's see. What else do we, do we want to talk about this article that we looked at? Did you look at it, Chris? Uh, due to time constraints with, with my work today, unfortunately I did not. Okay. Well, we, what, we might come back to that. Um, that, was a, that was an impressively long article. It was. It, it lied on the website that it came from. It said 20 minutes to read. I got about halfway through and I'm like, girl, this yeah. ain't no 20 minutes. I read fast. All right, y'all. Even with my highlighter, See, I make notes. This is not 20 minutes. Oh, I had no expectations walking into this article. And then I saw table of contents and I went, oh, okay, <laughs> I got this. And I did. I don't have a printer. So I took notes in my little notebook that I use for the podcast, which with is all rapidly shrinking. You need oh, a new notebook. Three different colors of ink. I need a new notebook. This one is, is getting filled up. But that's okay. That is Your the purpose coming. of notebooks. Your birthday's coming. I know. I if it like can be cool looking and also, not, and also not have lines in it, that would be great. Okay, no <laughs> lines. Because I doodle. All right. No lines, right. hardback preferred. All right, no lines, hardback <laughs> preferred. I sound like the cheapest mom. I'll get you a notebook. Happy birthday. That's, that's, I'm I so nice. I, I'm glad you do because you're going to get one. All right, so we're not going to talk about the article, but what we are going to talk about is why did Chris consent to join this merry band of weirdos? Because scientists don't it's not generally... It's nice. Huh? What'd you say? It isn't just that he's nice. It isn't just that he's nice. It's true. It's true. But he is nice. Um, and it isn't just because we gave him pie either. <laughs> but granted, the pie was really good. We aim to serve, you know. <laughs> so um, it's it, it's kind of a long, involved um, interest that I've had just in science in general. So um, I got started science at a young age. Um, at the age of six, I was really interested in meteorology. Um, I had the liberty of uh, watching the movie Twister uh, back in 1996. And I'm sure the listeners are well aware of that in film. Um, it got me interested in weather, and so I've been interested in meteorology since I was six years old. But then um, I think it was probably around 13 or so that I started really get interested in mathematics, science, physics, uh, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, I went to college, did my research in astronomy and astrophysics, got a doctorate, um, finished out, and now it I work. It makes it sound easy. <laughs> I went to college. I did astrophysics. I graduated. I got a PhD. <laughs> and um, now I do a the bulk of my research on um, computers and uh, computational complex complex complexity of algorithms. So, um, but uh, one of the fundamental tenets of science, uh, per the scientific method, is that um, like with any new idea, you formulate a hypothesis. You, you develop an experiment, you collect data, you compare, you do statistical analysis on that data, 
And then you either confirm your hypothesis and it becomes a scientific theory or it gets tossed into the waste bin of science, scientific history. Now, um, that's all that's all that's all fine. But uh, like science is a constantly evolving process. There's always going to be a frontier of new ideas that have not been explored by the scientific community. And so um, when it comes to something like the unknown, when it comes to something like uh, UFOs or uh, ghosts or paranormal events, um, my rational scientific mind would tell me that we don't have any evidence for that. Therefore, it's not a real thing. However, that's not to say that we don't carry the technology yet to try to explore this phenomenon in even greater detail. That still lurks in the back of my head. Also, it doesn't make sense as a scientist to have a rigid mentality on a particular scientific paradigm. While it's, it's granted that a scientific paradigm might be able to explain a broad variety of different phenomenon, whether it be in general relativity to explain black holes or quasars or white dwarfs or neutron stars, or subatomic particles in the realm of quantum mechanics. So they, they, these are two well-established scientific theories and they explain a broad variety of different phenomenon. But uh, we have um, UFO encounters, paranormal events that span uh, the entire course of human history. Um, could that represent a psychological phenomenon or could that represent a genuine physical phenomenon? That's still a question that I find particularly appealing and intriguing. So um, even though I still have a very uh, rigid scientific mentality, I still go by the scientific method. I still read peer-reviewed publications. Um, I still have that yearning curiosity to figure out what's actually out there. And to compare that with some of the leading physical theories uh, that have been advocated by different researchers, especially in the field that I used to pursue. So ultimately, I think that my interest in science has largely uh, driven me to um, like join this group and doing doing investigations to figure out what's really going, going on and out there. Plus, um, I have had some experiences as a younger child that has strengthened my belief in paranormal and the unknown. Uh, for example, uh, I had a house that I lived in with my sisters and my brother in, New in Newark, Ohio. And uh, there were what, as a young child, uh, were interpreted as paranormal phenomenon. So we would see um, what I would interpret to be ghosts, like up in the attic. My sisters were very keen to point those out when they were up there sleeping by themselves. Uh, we encountered cold spots. There was some uh, uh, music that would play randomly in the, the basement because my father did a lot of um, his recording in the basement and you had musical instruments that started playing on their own uh, down in the basement. Mm -hmm. So, and um, we also had tombstones on the side of our house. Now, that was a very strange fact or a strange feature about the house is that I, you know, I was five between five and 10 years old and we had tombstones on the side of our house. So it made us think that, and that our house was potentially built on a graveyard because we had no idea why these gravestones, these gravestones were even here. And given the level of paranormal 
encounters that I had in that house maybe speculate that maybe this house was built on a graveyard. So it's that is that those experiences as a kid, as well as my interest in science, uh, my hardcore passion of being a scientist that has incentivized me to try to ask these questions on what is really going on out there and whether or not it's something that can be explained by a physical phenomenon that as physicists and scientists are literally on the frontiers of this new knowledge. So it's, it's basically a combination of things um, that has incentivized me to join this group. Plus um, I've been good friends with Morgana for about six years now. Yeah, and she's one of my best friends. <laughs> You're one of my best and, friends. Um, and um, you know, I, I have a good I have a good friendship with her mom and her aunt, and so I couldn't think of anything better to do but to join this merry band. Yay! Yay! Especially during quarantine, when it's not like we're doing that much else. <laughs> you are. <Yeah>. You're working. <laughs> we thank yeah. you. Yes. So the those gravestones. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's 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 backtrack a little bit. We're were were they part of the foundation or were they just like, how how were they part of the house? So we had a, a two-story, actually no, a three-story house. The very top was the attic. Uh, the gravestones were um, literally like propped on the side um, at an angle, like all along the, uh, one side of our house. And it made no sense why all these gravestones just happened to be there. What and, the hell? Yeah. So were it was they, deep. Were they attached? No. So, so they're literally just hanging on the side of the house and um, they, they were loose and they had people's names, uh, like their birth date, their dead date, all that. So, yeah. Okay. So those were samples from, uh, uh, you know, cemetery wholesaler thing that those, oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. That, what, wow. It, I'd say what possesses somebody to do that, but clearly it's something. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's oh. So it did was, you, you it guys was deeply did, unsettling? Did you own the house or did you rent it? Uh, we rented the property. Okay, I can't imagine owning and living in that kind of house. I mean, I could see buying it and being like, "No, you live in it." <laughs> <laughs> But not, hey, y'all, let's live here. <laughs> or it could be they bought it. Ah, it doesn't mean anything. Okay, we're going to live. Oh, no, we're not going to live yeah. here. We're going to rent it out. Okay, it that's was, what we're going to do. Yeah. It, it, it was particularly unsettling because I recall my sisters mentioning that, you know, them living up in, them sleeping up in the attic, that they remarked that there were occasions they saw a little girl. Oh that no! Go was, yeah, creepy. That, no. that was positioned near a small. No, granted, this was the attic, and there was a small cupboard-like area that oh, no. store stuff within the attic. And the ghost of this little girl, whatever it might be, uh, she would occasionally go through and out of that door, even though the door was like shut and everything. No. So my sisters, they. Mm -hmm were deeply they're very very uneasy about staying up in that in, in the attic 
uh, because that was the, that was their bedroom essentially. Oh, I, I have a question that's really important to me right now. Why do we record this at night before I go to bed? <laughs> I think it's actually your idea that we start at nine o'clock. Uh, I don't like me right now. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh that's that's so scary. I know you told me more detail. Um this would have been before uh, uh Halloween last year. Mm -hmm. It was it was the year that it was the day that my uh my last computer died because lightning struck outside our house after you left. Mm -hmm. So that's why I remember that's all right. this very very clearly. Um, you said something about one of your sisters getting a scratch from something. Yes. So the story goes that, uh, one of these evenings in which my sisters were sleeping, um, the goat, whatever this ghost was, uh, was positioned next to their beds. So they had bunk beds. And so for some reason, uh, this little girl ghost was right next to one of my sisters and uh, it obviously freaked my sister out, uh, but then she just hid under the covers. But when she woke up the next morning, she seemed to have a scratch on one of her arms. That hadn't been there before. That's correct. Yeah. No, that's not cool. Totally like not that. cool. Yeah. yeah. Barbara's talking. Morgana and I are just shaking our heads. Like, I can't even. Nope. <laughs> I yeah, we would be terrible if if there was a horror movie based on our lives, Kendra. You and I, the movie would be five minutes long, <laughs> and it would be we get to the haunted house. We would unpack the first super creepy thing would happen. Maybe it would take three small creepy things before the like undeniable fourth. This is a haunting happened, and then we'd be like, nope. And we it, the next scene would be us at a hotel room being calling the realtor, being like, we don't want it anymore. The title yeah, of the movie is nope. Though. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I'm still there unpacking stuff going, guys, why aren't you helping? <laughs> what? I know it's creepy. Yeah, I lived in a house with a poltergeist, so I'm kind of like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> It, mm. but yeah, yeah. There's, there's hauntings and then there's that yes. then there's the haunting with the gravestones I mean that's it, just that's, a whole nother layer of yeah. never mind yeah that's, that's bad that's extra yes. yes that is extra did you ever see the little girl or did your sisters only see her uh, the little girl no but I definitely saw some things, especially in my own bedroom, that were completely out of whack. Like what? So you can tell who used to be a journalist in this group. Like what? What did <laughs> I'm gesturing like spill? Yeah, yeah. He so, doesn't he does not just, recognize that. I'm just making faces. So and again, this this could just be my young imagination running wild while I'm laying in bed. Um but we had in my bedroom, we had uh, like a toy clo uh, closet, but it wasn't an actual closet. It was like a wooden case that was attached to the wall that you would put your tools, your, your toys into. So what was really bizarre was every time I was in 
under the covers or in bed, I always felt like there was something watching me, especially as I was trying to nod off as a young child. And then um, one evening, um, it was like close to 2.33 in the morning. And that's typically around the same time that gnarly things tend to happen at night. Yeah. Um, I was, I was waking up a little bit. I was a little bit groggy. And then I looked in the window and there was something staring at me. Oh God. No, I didn't know what it was. First floor or second floor? Second floor. Oh no. Is there a portrait under there? Is there what? No. 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 Okay. Okay. So you're still unpacking the bags, Barbara? <laughs> We're already at the hotel for this. <laughs> We're like, she'll be along any minute. <laughs> yes. so, so naturally, I was freaked out. And yeah. the, re- the remaining week, I slept in the living room. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. Yeah. Can you describe I what was staring at you? It had really dark eyes. Oh. Um, I could see right through it. There was, it was, it was pale. Like, like, like it had a outer, outer surface that was pale, but its face was relatively black and the, and the eyes were like completely black. So I couldn't really see anything. Um, um, and then I literally dashed out of my room before I can uh, like think back and look at it again. Um, ever since, and then, and then after that, I didn't see anything else. I didn't see it again. That's good. You didn't see it again, or you didn't see anything else again? I didn't see it again. Okay. Did you see anything else? Not so much seeing anything, but definitely feeling stuff, especially in the basement. Um, There were a lot of cold spots there that were unanticipated, that were relatively mild temperature beforehand. Uh, My father, um, he was a musician, he would bring a lot of his friends over to do recording sessions down in the basement. He had his own like little recording studio down there. And so um, there were times after we couldn't go down in the basement because he was doing his recording sessions. He was smoking weed, drinking beer with his friends. So that was an area that us kids were not able to venture. And so when him and his friends would go out to the bars and then leave the recording studio unattended, naturally, Curious me at the humble age of seven, eight, we'd go down there and see what my dad was up to. The whole place reeked of burning grass, and I didn't make heads or tails of what this burning grass was, but I didn't take, I didn't pay it no mind. So I went down there and um, turned on the lights, looked around, see what was going on and everything, and then the lights just randomly went out. Oh no! Yeah, and that's not good. Not in the basement. And then I tried to turn it on to no luck. And then uh, all of a sudden it started getting really cold. So I felt deeply unsettled. I felt like there was a presence there. And so I sprinted up the basement stairs and it took, again, took like another week, two weeks for me to go back down there. I told my father and he is a proponent of the paranormal as well, conveniently enough. And he mentioned that, uh, Chris, you got to avoid that area when it's just you. That that was his main remark that you do not go down there alone. So... It was, um, there were a lot of stories that me, my sisters, my brother, that they have similar anecdotal tales of their own experiences within that house. It was, it was very uneasy place to live in. Oh man. It sounds deeply, deeply uneasy. Yeah. That's not a, 
So I have another question. How close to the uh, burial mounds is that house? Because Newark has a big, big uh, group of burial mounds, some of them effigy mounds. And uh, I was wondering how close it was to those. So I, so I honestly don't know. Um, because the house that we were staying in, uh, there is a fa there's a facility known as Owens Cornering in, in yeah. Newark, Ohio. And the house that we stayed in uh, wasn't too far from there. It, it's situated on a creek um, on, I'm drawing a blank on the street right now. I, I, I might have to get back to you on that one, Barb. Um, I'm... I don't think it's that close to where the mounds are. Mm -hmm. um, Owings Corning, as I recall, is a little bit out of the downtown area, whereas the, the mounds are in downtown, sort of. That's correct. That's correct. Yes. Okay, so I just wondered if, if there was any of that mixed in. I don't think so, no. It just... For whatever reason, it just dawned on me that it's Newark. <laughs> and I don't know if I've said this here before. Newark feels like a big black hole. It's the weirdest feeling town I've been in. Like Athens has its own feeling and it's great. Newark does not feel okay to me. Newark feels creepy. We lived near it for two years. Yeah. And we went there a few times. We actually looked at houses there and we're kind of like, mm, nope, nope, not, yeah. no, don't like it. It's strange and not okay. Yeah. Sorry to anybody living in Newark. <laughs> <laughs> but get out. The call is coming from inside the house. Just get out. <laughs> I also, I just, I love... That all this messed up spooky stuff happened when you were a kid and you know un unlike me you went hard into science and were like I will literally study things like physics so you knew down to atoms what the world was made of and how it worked to try and figure out just everything because I did not do that with my creepy things. I went, I, creepy things happen. That's just how life is. And I didn't really... It's not that I'm not skeptical about some things. And it's not that I'm not like a total believer in other things. I don't know. I just did not go hard science route. And I think it's admirable that you did. So, so with me, I'm insanely skeptical. Like, um, I, e even to this day, I'm trying to ask myself what exactly happened during those times I was in that house. Uh, was it just the product of an excited young imagination or was it something, a genuine physical phenomenon that I can point down? Um, that, qu that question has mystified me for decades now. I'm surprised I can say decades now at the age of 32, <laughs> but, um, but no, and that's one of the things I think that's so compelling and intriguing about science is that if we can explain it in terms of a repeatable phenomenon, then that builds a body of knowledge that can be tested. And then eventually the scientific method can uh, be applied. And then this can become uh, from a hypothesis into a genuine scientific theory. And I 
that's been the hardest thing about this whole field is the yeah. whole aspect of repeatability. Yeah. Yeah. When you try to, to do, at least in psi research, when you try to do repeatable experiments, mm -hmm. you will start out with people who have all of these, you know, hits, they do really well, they do really well, and then there's a drop off. And that drop off is almost inevitable to the point where some researchers have come up with a mathematical model of it. Oh, sweet. And, and they can predict when it's going to happen. And it's almost always correct. Hmm. So, and, and what I, I want to add is that science in itself is an inherently social phenomenon. Yeah. The reason I say that is because, uh, it's relatively straightforward for an individual scientist to develop a hypothesis, go through the five same steps of the scientific method. But uh, a scientific result isn't garnered just from one person. You have exactly. to take that result, uh, develop and do a publication that's peer reviewed, and then sent to a journal where it's then published. And then you have to have other researchers look over your findings and then repeat the same experiment. And so that builds a body of knowledge to where that theory becomes more mainstream. And then it becomes scientific fact. And then, and then new ideas are taken from that scientific fact and move forward to create new hypotheses. And then eventually new scientific theories. Yeah. So have you had any strange experiences since you moved out of that house? Well, coincidentally, yes. So this was a phenomenon that I myself experienced. Um, this was November of 2019. Um, and Morgan is very well aware of this uh, particular incident. Um, so I did a lot of um, work uh, at my current job at the time, and I still do. But I had an opportunity to go visit my sisters for Thanksgiving. It was a very... Um, joyous occasion as it always is. And then I came back to my apartment and I just felt unusual. Like there was something about the apartment that was just out of black. Um, I came back from Thanksgiving and then the first thing I did was do the dishes because I didn't have an opportunity to do the dishes that day before um, or the day before I left for three days. So I did that, I was doing the dishes and then for reasons I can't explain, I had a panic attack. And it was also unusually cold, cold in the apartment, even though the temperature was like 71, 72. So at the time I paid it no mind. I thought it was just nothing out of the ordinary. Um, I was also reading a series of books that Morgana gave, or let me borrow, um, that was, they were titled Shouting at the Wolf. And it was a very informative book. It discussed uh, di uh, different forms of evil, primary evil and secondary evil as well as different strategies to try to protect yourself against these different forms of evil. So I was kind of going on a binge of reading John Keel books, as well as reading these books about primary and secondary evil. So we made, so I read, it came and gotcha. <laughs> you made eye contact. Yes. So, so I read all of this stuff for about two or three months before this incident happened. 
And then the day I, like I said, that I came back, I uh, did the dishes, had a panic attack. It was cold. Didn't think anything of it. And then that evening, uh, I went to sleep and I had a very unusual dream where I felt like I was being chased in, in, in the woods or something. It was, it was dusk. It was getting dark. And I felt like I was getting chased. And I felt like there were these, I, I don't even want to call it this, but that's all I could fathom from my imagination. It seemed like there were like these little demons that were attacking me in my dream. And I, I didn't think anything of it. And then when I woke up, uh, this was my first experience bout of sleep paralysis. Never had it before in my entire life. Wow. So I was in my bed. I could, I could see like my wall, but I couldn't move or anything. And it felt like there was a presence within the room, like a dark shadowy figure along the side of the bed. And I was getting like zapped in the back. I don't know what it was, um, but it was very unusual. It was very unsettling. Now I am by no means an expert in the field of sleep or dreams or any of that. So it could be just my ignorance on what was actually going on. Uh, the, effects of sleep paralysis, but it felt like something was genuinely stabbing me in the back. Like I was getting jolted every few seconds. And then it took every amount of effort to get myself out of that sleep paralysis. Like I literally had to push my muscles as hard as I could before I could gain mobility again. And then after that, as soon as I could move, I was, it, I was breathing very hard because it felt like I had the lung, the air kicked out of me. So, after that, it still felt like there was a presence in the room, very unsettling. And then I slept on the couch for the rest of the evening. Actually, I, I didn't even sleep that night. I was, that's how uneasy I was for the rest of the evening. I and, then I, and then I texted Morgana the next morning saying, hey, this is what happened. Then, then I get a very nervous text. <laughs> describing this and I said okay that was probably sleep paralysis and he was like it was terrible I'm like I know I've had it before it's really bad um and that that's it was, it was unusual um, yeah it sort of calmed you down a little bit because I was like it's science and you were like yeah but then it was still I still felt like there was something there and I was like if it makes you feel better like ward your house <laughs> And I walked you through how to like cleanse your house with salt and how to like put up barriers. And I think strange persisted for a couple of weeks because I remember you came to Athens and I gave you ward stones. Yeah, we made them. And I still have those hoarding stones. <laughs> because you, you kept having I, I, this for a while. You know, sleep paralysis isn't, is a thing. Um, mm -hmm. And it's been described scientifically. There's, there's theories that something goes wrong with your dopamine system in your brain. Mm -hmm. Dopamine being the, the hormone uh, neurotransmitter that's given to you in your sleep so that you don't thrash around while you dream. That's the theory of it. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to deactivate your muscles and make you be still in your sleep. Um, 
you know, sometimes it doesn't work so well and sometimes it works too well so that it's still working while you're conscious. And so sleep states are sort of a continuum of different types of consciousness. And because I've read about this a lot because I've had sleep paralysis a lot. And I also have what's called restless leg syndrome, which comes about because my brain just doesn't, it goes dopamine. What's that? I don't need it. I'm not going to make any. And that seems to run through my dad's side of the family. We all have, we're all weird that way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's an issue, but what is interesting is that people who have paranormal things happen while they're perfectly well awake also have a lot of sleep paralysis or at least one sleep paralysis instance. There is a, a correlation. And, and I think that's intriguing because I do have a history of sleep problems. Um, Especially, and it, it's something I, I think I've had since grad school that I've always had a hard time trying to ultimately shake off. Because um, I had to learn, work, well, every grad student has to do this. They have to work typically long hours to uh, further their work and their research. And um, there were times in which I had to neglect sleep in order to get that taken care of. And so ultimately, it was a combination of that um, and other things that can adversely affect my sleep. And I think that could very well had a part to play in the bout of sleep paralysis I ha had. And of course, I think also it's the books and literature that I was reading at oh, the yeah. time also had an adverse effect on that as well. Oh, yeah. I yeah. told you not to read the moth prophecies at night. I told you not to. <laughs> you did. <laughs> but granted, granted. Uh, but granted, the Mothman prophecies, you did tell me not to read at night, but I did just because I wanted to. I know. And <laughs> you had sleep paralysis and a feeling of being yep. haunted. And dreams. my name is Dr. Life. Chris, and you can't tell me what to do. I'm a doctor. You can't yes, tell me. You are a doctor. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you put up a sign that says to keep off the grass, I'm going to jump on that grass. I'm going to go <laughs> through it. So Which I have another why we question. Love you. you went to see your sister. Does she still yeah. live in Newark? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yes, she does. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Kendra's shaking her head. I don't like that town. <laughs> it does not like me. <laughs> That's okay. Not oh. every town has to like us, and we don't have to like every town. That's, That's right. Did you ever have any strange experiences in Athens since you're another person who has spent a significant amount of time here in our fair little town? So there were times I went up to the ridges um, to, because I'm, I'm, I'm a history buff. And so I wanted to walk around uh, the ridges and see the old um, psychiatric wards um, the Athens Lunatic Asylum, which was its older name, um, had a chance to walk around there, see the sites uh, as, a, as a young teenager. And then my early 20s broke into the TV ward because it's what, a right of what to do. <laughs> what, what young uh, Athens resident wasn't going to do something as bold as that? It's what you so, do. I am the only one who never did that. You yeah. had this out. Huh? And then 
You had and, yeah. Okay. The one time you went to the hotel first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right. I'll, wait, I'll wait at the hotel for you all. You just you go. I'm not you even going on that adventure. You just leave. <laughs> you just go on with y'all. So so it was interesting. Um, like there was a program that I watched younger. Um, it where the. The British Society of Psychical Research, they named Athens, Ohio as the 13th most haunted place on earth. So I'm like, this is really intriguing to me. So all the areas that that video talked about, I went to. So Wilson Hall, um, I, I got an opportunity to see the um, dead woman stain over up the ridges as well. So, and I went to the TB ward. So I had a chance to, you know, see and experience all of that when I was in Athens. But in terms of any unusual phenomenon, um, I don't, and that's what's strangely, what's odd enough is that I didn't really experience any unusual events when I was in Athens. Um, I had a chance to walk through the woods, which was deeply unsettling. I always felt like something was watching me, especially when I would walk around there at night with my friends. But I never experienced a unusual paranormal event uh, when I was in Athens. I had friends that mentioned that they had experiences that the dorm dormitories were haunted, especially uh, Washington Hall on East Green. Um, but I myself, I never paid, bared witness to any of that, unfortunately. On a somewhat unrelated note, did anybody ever talk about South Green? I had an opportunity to stay on South Green for my junior and senior year. I stayed at Ray Hall. You were at Ray? I was in yes. Ewing. You were neighbors. Oh, <laughs> if only I knew. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't actually know you were ever in Ray. Because hmm. um, we would have vaguely possibly overlapped. Hmm. Um, yeah, we would have overlapped very, very briefly. We could have been friends then. Yeah, we were yeah. friends pretty early. I was still in school when I loudly and drunkenly corrected you at Tony's. <laughs> Yes, let's while we're oh, here, let's let's regale. Let's regale you are this telling story. this story. I'm not telling this story. I have to tell awesome. this story all the time. <laughs> oh God. Well, uh, so I don't know if that bears any um You well, said it. It's happening I now. I, I have opened I have opened Pandora's box, so I must <laughs> so um I was hanging out with, with my friend Andrew and to the listeners, um this is just a backstory of who I am and how, how I know um, Morgana. Just, we, we have the oldest friendship. It's going on six years now. Anywho, so we had a chance to um, encounter when we were at Tony's. And the story goes that I was hanging I mean, with my friend. It's a bar. It's a bar, yes. It's a great bar, by the it's way. It's a great, fantastic, great bar. bar. Fantastic bar. But, it's my favorite. Uh, and this is the cheesiest encounter, but it's also one of the coolest. Anywho, so we meet, I'm hanging out with my friend Andrea at Tony's, and um, I'm explaining to Andrea the story of Napoleon's invasion of France. Oh, and, no. And, no Andrea, and Andrea was rolling his, her eyes because um, she didn't really have much of an interest in history back then. And then, um, as I'm really getting into the discussion, um, there's this young woman who's sitting at the at one of the booths nearby, and she corrects me about a detail in the Battle of Borodino. Proudly. 
Yes. Leaned out, leaned out from my bench, cigarette in one hand, shot glass of Jameson's in the other, and go, you're fucking wrong. <laughs> you over there talking about Napoleon, you're wrong. And then I just leaned back and sat back down and moved on as far That's as I was concerned. Child. Except Chris <laughs> was having none of this and poked his head. He looked around and then saw who it was and went, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> it's your turn. And you dare uh, correct me, my first name is Doctor. <laughs> and, and I was um, lightly confused, and I thought I would engage with this young woman in polite debates on <laughs> the fallacy of my mistake on the Battle of Borodino. And it, and it turns out so much nicer than it was. And it turns out she was correct, and I. <laughs> I accepted my error in good grace. I I believe you came over and said, why am I wrong? And I said, you're fucking wrong because X, Y, Z did my shot. And he went, oh, well, what about A, B, Y? And we had started talking about Napoleon. And then at a certain point, and Andrea had come over. And then we somehow got to Russia I think Andrew went inside. Like and at that point, built. she went no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so. I went, "What's your name?" And you told me, "Crystal." I said, "I'm Morgana. Nice to meet you. Let's go get shots." Because if we're going to talk about Russia and Napoleon, we're going to end up talking about Hitler and Russia. So come on. And and the rest that's of the part two. And then he, I think we each realized that this was now going to be one of our best friends for eternity. And the rest is history. And yeah, we proceeded nice. to drink a lot of whiskey and argue and talk about history. All that we, I think we jumped around. We talked several hours that night. Yes, we did. <laughs> because I didn't have anywhere to go and neither mm -hmm. did you. And it was, or we met at like 10 at night. I think we still closing. Yeah. So. That's how we party here in Athens. <laughs> That's what we do. We, it we is. talk about history. We no, it is. It's a it's a college town, so you'll yeah. find people partying hardy and like arguing about philosophy or history or sports or, or physics. physics or people doing their like art students doing their work in coffee shops. It's really cool. It's a really nice place and all of this is mixed into a really fun music scene and like regular college town things pseudo bacchanals yeah 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 say so i met chris in the same bar because morgana took me to meet him and the three of us started talking about world war ii <laughs> while drinking cider and shots of jameson's and some some person who knew chris and morgana came up i don't remember which one it was because i drank too much came up and went what are you guys talking about oh 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 no oh ugh. and just walked away <laughs> it was like no i don't want to get involved in that that's you're talking Thank about you. it i'm Thank done you. <laughs> It's like, oh, you guys are like talking about real things. Okay. <laughs> no. No. But yeah, that was that was the first time I met Chris. And I thought you were a history major at the time because you, you were 
jabbering so eloquently about uh, World War II. If I if I hadn't pursued a career in physics or science, I probably would have been a historian. Easy. You get paid better with the science. I oh think. yeah, yeah, yeah. History is more of a hobby for me than anything. So. Yeah, yeah. History is not a, a high paying uh, career choice for most people. I mean, sometimes you can get a good government job, but a lot of times you don't. Which is why I didn't go and get a master's and a PhD in history hmm. because then I'd be giving way too much money to the man and getting nothing back because because <laughs> damn it colleges charge too much for that crap and they treat you like crap and they treat their I sound like a communist now no the money doesn't go to the right place anymore it doesn't go to the it doesn't go to the instructors no it they goes to that weird like administrative layer of garbage yeah, that that's that's crap that's just yeah i i have no patience with that stuff anymore okay Let's university see. world pay your adjuncts <laughs> pay your pay, professors <laughs> please pay your professors they do uh, so much work but yeah so so you never really experienced anything strange in athens paradoxically no Cool. Which sucks, because, you know, usually Athens is where it happens to people, but, you know. Yeah. Newark wasn't kidding when he was a kid, so. No, you know, it got, got you early. It got you early. But again, it's still Ohio. Ohio has some weirdness. Ohio is odd. Ohio does. We've got um, all kinds of weirdness. So while while we have a physicist here... Is there anything you could say that might shed light on some of the weirdness that is UFOs and how they fly? And if they're just balls of plasma or if they're possibly real craft with technology far beyond ours or anything like that? So um, that, that, that that's definitely a loaded question. I know. Um, I'm sorry. No, no. It's... <laughs> It's so there have been cases in which you've had a craft that appear to be UFOs uh, move in in a very erratic fashion. And this is not something that most conventional aircraft would be able to do. Like they can move from a very fast speed to zero and then move in a completely opposite direction. And so the G forces that would uh, a pilot would sustain in order to deal with the kind of deceleration and acceleration uh, or would be extremely substantial and it's not likely uh, a pilot would be able to survive something like that. Yeah. Um, so whether or not these are actual physical craft, um, I'd say it's highly unlikely, but that begs the question then, okay, what are these things? Um, so there's two dominant ideas uh, on like what the origin of um, these, these entities might be. It could be like the extraterrestrial hypothesis or the interdimensional hypothesis in which these beings actually come from another dimension. And I know there's a vast variety of literature on both of those subjects. Um, so to assert that these are um, actual extraterrestrial beings, then that begs the question, okay, where are they coming from? And if it's very far away, what kind of propulsion systems are they using in order to go from their own, own planet or their own system to here? 
So the closest uh, planet we, or the closest star system we have is Proxima Centauri, and it's over four light years away from us. So in order to break the speed of light barrier, it would take four years to get from here to there. So if they're using some kind of um, propulsion system that is able to travel faster than the speed of light, then what kind of propulsion system would that encompass? Would they use some kind of a Einstein-Rosen bridge or, or AKA a wormhole to go from their system to ours? Or would they be using uh, a type of a warp drive that's called an Alcubierre drive that was developed by a Mexican physicist in 1994 in order to expand space behind a craft and then contract space in front of it. And then that craft would ride space uh, kind of like a, a tidal wave. And if you could do that, then you can actually travel faster than the speed of light because you're actually riding a wave of space and therefore you're not violating the rules within that space where objects have to travel slower than the speed of light. So there's a broad variety of uh, literature in the physics community on these different warp drive mechanisms. And uh, the problem is, is that they typically require exotic forms of matter that have a negative energy density in order to cause this expansion or this contraction of space. And you would need a substantial amount of this in order to create a realistic uh, warp drive that works the same way that Alcubierre uh, detailed in his 1994 paper. So, okay, if it's not the extraterrestrial hypothesis, then what is it? Uh, if it's an interdimensional hypothesis, then how? Then there's a possibility that these craft, these beings, are moving from one dimension, uh, one plane of existence onto our own. And that's what we see and that's what we observe. So then that begs the question, okay, what is this dimension that they're coming from? And if there was some conscious entity that was moving from their own dimension onto our own, that transition process of moving from one dimension onto our own, does that cause some sort of physical phenomenon that you know we as people can actually observe in the electromagnetic spectrum, spectrum, namely our own visible band between 400 and 700 nanometers. So that's a possibility too. What would be intriguing is that if we see these UFOs or these phenomenon in the upper in the sky take place and we observe them, if they're starting to go into like a band in the electromagnetic spectrum that we can't see, like ultraviolet or or um, infrared then it would be a really fun experiment to observe these craft in, in the sky, see them in the visible spectrum, and then as they start to vanish, see and uh, observe them in the infrared band and see if they move into that band before they finally vanish. So you can see these phenomenon in different uh, band passes on the electromagnetic spectrum other than our own. So that would be a interesting experimental test to try to do in order to you know, gain some ground on the interdimensional hypothesis. So to answer your question from the very beginning, um, I do, I do not know. Okay. I, I think there's, uh, I, what I just mentioned was just me a long ramble that there is an extensive literature for both ideas. They're, they're, they're hypotheses, but there isn't any any concrete evidence on if there's one theory or one hypothesis that dominates over the other. Cool. I wanted to ask that because I wanted to hear you expound yeah. on stuff. And also because I keep running into the phrase, well, but UFOs break the laws of physics. 
Yeah. And I'm like, I I do that. I don't think they actually do break the laws of physics. I just think they break the laws of conventional aircraft. They break the laws of heavier than air flight. Yes. Which when it's written that way, I understand it that way. But I also, it's just a phrase that you'll run into, mm-hmm. like, in the paranormal and UFO community. Like, well, physics says this can't happen. And I'm like, does it? I don't know enough about physics to dispute you. <laughs> so I just wanted to, I wanted to ask. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. So have you heard about the signal from Proxima Centauri? I heard about... I think it was an FM radio signal that was coming from one of Jupiter's moons. Yeah, there's there is a uh, a signal that has been if you point the telescope directly at Proxima Centauri, you get the signal. And every time that you know the Earth rotates and you point the telescope directly at Proxima Centauri, it happens again. Um, it is, however, probably human created and it's bouncing somehow in a strange way, mm-hmm. but it is interesting. Um, and it is fairly new. So it's, it's pretty exciting. What do you think of the, uh, the Tic Tac videos? Have you watched those? Um, those I don't think those are the, the naval, no. not Tic Tac. <laughs> oh my god, you are obsessed with TikTok, woman. It's fun. There, there's actually a guy on TikTok talking about some experiences he had. That's why I asked. No, no, TikTok. They oh. call him the TikTok because they look like a white TikTok coming into or out of the ocean. The oh. Nimitz videos. The Nimitz videos. The Nimitz carrier group. Mm-hmm. Um, have you watched those? Um, unfortunately, I don't think I have. Oh, see, now I'm going to have to send them to you. <laughs> uh, she loves assigning homework. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, if you watch the new film, Phenomena, mm-hmm. which is out now, which I keep trying to get everybody to watch it. I haven't read She's like, here's four books, an article, and three movies. Watch them for Monday. I'm like... No, no, no. The problem is, I do it most of the time. So she has an artificial, like, I have a weird idea as to what the thing about the movie, though, is Kendra says, I do better with videos. So I said, Okay, so you should watch this movie. And she still doesn't. No, (laughs) here's the problem it's because Amazon is on the TV, not on my computer. And I don't want to watch it on the TV because we have an open plan house and I don't want to deal with the, you know, kids trying to figure out what I'm watching. What's going on? Huh? Yeah. Mom, what you watching now? Just go to bed. Okay. <laughs> so fair. I got to get prime onto my, my laptop and then I can, and that, that's an, a Dr. Mauer issue. So if you want to text Dr. Mauer, <laughs> tell him. Don't, don't tempt me. I'll do it. I'll do I it. know. <laughs> Hey, Dr. Maurer. <laughs> she will, too. Stop being yeah. sheep. <laughs> no, he just, he's super into privacy, so he doesn't like it when his password is anywhere but in his own head. And I'm, I get that. Have him sign into the laptop for you. Yeah, I might do that. I, and I then like you won't know it, but you'll have yeah. Prime on your laptop. Yeah. And I think, honestly, I think we both just 
forget. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I'll text him. <laughs> I promise I will watch my homework. Yes. Sure. Yes. I'm such an evil person. Making <laughs> you watch entertaining things and read cool books. It's taken me a year and a half to see the program that I'm actually in on Amazon Prime. So... <laughs> <laughs> What program are you no, in? We all love each other. It's a, it's a little show called Off the Cuff, and it's these couple of guys that are just out um, observing different communities. And, you know, how do they form? Where do they come from? And they came to Penzik. I, we were there first, the first place they went. And they did an amazing job. They really represented us well. They were fun to talk to. But I'm in there for like, a few seconds, a couple of times. And I can always tell because I, when somebody's seen it for the first time, they're like, Oh my God, you're famous. I'm like, no, I'm in there for like five seconds, I think. And I finally, the other day saw it. I'm like, okay, I can see. And it's like, there's this one tunic that I wear a lot. And I'm of course in that tunic in every scene that I'm in. They <laughs> think you never change your clothes. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but I have, well, it's not just that one tunic. I got this great fabric. So I made like four tunics. Oh, fabric. <laughs> yeah, I screwed myself. <laughs> so, yeah. So, explain what Penzik is for the listeners who aren't in this particular small uh, culture. Little here. niche community. So, um, Penzik is basically um, a convention, an international convention for a medieval recreation society that we're a part of. We're a recreation because we don't pick historical people to be so we're not recreation um no we're not reenactment we're recreation sorry um we're not reenacting it we're actually there you know figuring out you know how do i separate the clay how do i make a clay oven we do stuff like that with um people from around the world go to this little place in western pennsylvania called cooper's lake and it's a what's two mile by one mile campsite roughly between 10 and 13,000 people show up annually and do our thing. Um, the greater group that we're a part of is called the society for creative anachronisms. And it's the same thing. Middle ages is, and we say the middle ages as they should have been. So with sanitation, refrigeration, um, vaccinations and all that important stuff, that is why we're still Gender alive. Quality. Yeah. Racial equality. Yes. Um, penicillin. Absolutely. Penicillin um, is a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. Thank you for touching yes. on gender and race and um, religious tolerance. Religious. It's all of that. We're like, okay, you're, you're a geek like us. Let's play. You want to be king? Fight for it. Just like everybody else. So. Excellent. Yeah. Awesome. So now, now you know one of our hobbies. So <laughs> one of us, one of us is hobbies. One All right. <laughs> is there anything else we want to talk about? We've got this article that some of us read and some of us didn't. So we could just leave that for later. But yeah, I think we'll leave that for the next time Chris is around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, anybody else have any other things they want to say? You're just as soon as you're done recording, I'll think of something. 
I know you will. Every time. I, think I, I, I really like it when Chris can come do episodes. It makes me happy to have the whole team together. Yeah. Yes. Like, it, it feels very, it feels much more a team. Like mm-hmm. it's, like we have to go get him at, at certain episodes. Like we got to bust him out of the psych ward, except we have to be like, are you too busy at work? Can you come play? <laughs> yeah. yeah my, my it's my not job. as fun as getting Murdoch. No, my work keeps me very busy. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you have a real boss. You work for the man. You do work <laughs> for the man, but we love you anyway. <laughs> That's all right. All right. Yeah, the rest of us just do weird stuff. So, you know. Normally I work. It's just been a very strange year. <laughs> it has. It has. It's been a strange year for everybody. I know. Yeah. And we started a podcast in the middle of it. Because why not? <laughs> because right. we're strange. This is true. This is true. All right. So if we don't have anything else to say, I think we should probably say goodbye. All Thank right. you, Chris. Bye, Thank Chris. Thank you for coming to see us. Come back soon. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. We will have you again soon. We enjoy having you. It is so much fun. And it is good to know that there is a scientist who has had strange, anomalous experiences and, and is yeah. willing to talk about them because not every scientist is willing to talk about them. Not in, not in public. I know quite a few who have had those experiences who are like, tell people? No. No. <laughs> so... Thank you for coming back and thank you for, for being with us and sharing about the tombstones because that's really weird. That's not okay. Well, well thanks no. again for having me on here. All right. Talk to you soon. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Until next time, keep your eyes on the skies. And salt across your doorstep. Whatever you do, don't talk to the Slender Man. Unless you don't like your kids. In which case, have at it. (laughs) 